Hi everyone, welcome to the Green Minds Podcast. I am your host, Andreas Silverius, and I'm very glad to have you here. This episode is recorded in the second half of June 2023, when London's summer is in its full swing. So it is very nice and beautiful with long daylight, but it's also pretty hot and full of people everywhere you go in the city. It also means that the Climate Change Management and Finance Master's Program, or CCMF, is done with its in-person classes. Now we still have internship or consulting project, and also one final individual report to be completed over the summer. And after that, the CCMF program is officially finished. And so I just want to send my best wishes to all of my CCMF classmates who are doing their internship or consulting project. For this episode, I am really excited to bring you my conversation with Kavita Shinha, the director of the private sector facility at Green Climate Fund or GCF. Throughout our CCMF program, especially at climate finance course this summer term, we learn about several global institutions that are active in providing the financing for climate programs across the world. One of them is Green Climate Fund or GCF. As you may recall, GCF is the world's largest climate fund that is mandated to support developing countries in realizing their nationally determined contributions or NDC. From my conversation with Kavita, you will learn about GCF's history and program, especially about their program in the private sector space in developing countries. Private sector here refers to entities that are not government bodies, such as ministry or municipal government, or entities that are not government-owned enterprises. Those government bodies or entities are what we would call the public sector. Therefore, example of private sectors would be for-profit corporations, companies, or banks, insurances, or other financial institutions. And now, on to my conversation with Kavita Shinha, the director of the private sector facility at Green Climate Fund. So thank you, Kavita, for your time today to talk about the Green Climate Fund. Before I start, just a little bit of background, you know, in our, one of our classes in this climate change management and finance program in Imperial, we learned about the climate finance and then where we talk a lot about the various entities in the world that are doing this climate finance. And one entity that we talk quite a lot actually in that class is Green Climate Fund. So I think it would be interesting for the students of this program and also other listeners to learn about the Green Climate Fund from your end. So let's start right in. I think it would be great if you can talk first about the history of the Green Climate Fund or the GCF, why it was established, what was the objective, and probably a little bit about the funding source and the organization structure, Kavita. Well, thanks, Andreas, first of all, for having me on this podcast. It's, it's a really a great opportunity to talk to the students of climate finance and to other listeners. So thank you so much uh, for having me on this. So you asked about the GCF's history and its establishment. So the Green Climate Fund was established in 2010 as the operating entity of the financial mechanism of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or UNFCCC, with the goal of assisting the developing countries in adaptation and mitigation uh, to counter climate change. This was part of a very pivotal part of the global climate architecture. And uh, it, this was also a very, very critical component of the Paris Agreement. Our mandate is to support the developing countries in the transition to low emission climate resilient development. In the beginning, we used to be largely uh, channeling a lot of climate finance from the developed countries to developing countries. But now in the last few years, we've now become a catalyzer of green markets, in, uh, especially on the private sector side in green markets in developing countries. And we use our funds in a very, very catalytic manner to accelerate green market creation and unlock financial flows that are needed in the developing countries, especially from the private sector. 
A lot of GCF funding, almost entirely so far, comes from the developed countries or the Annex 1 countries of the UNFCCC, but there are also uh, we are beginning to see some funding or contribution from non-Annex 1 countries. It's a small uh, number of non-Annex 1 countries who contribute, but it's also an endorsement of the GCF model, which is pretty unique. Our governance is made up of both developing countries and developed countries. So um, we consider ourselves as a very, very unique financial institution, completely dedicated to climate finance and, and the largest climate finance, dedicated climate finance fund. Thank you. And do you know why it was headquartered in Seoul? I've been curious about that in South Korea. It's a very, very interesting question. It, it is headquartered in Songdo, in fact, which is in Incheon outside of Seoul. And like all UN uh, entities, uh, the member countries actually bid to host a new institution when it is created. And uh, South Korea actually won. The, the city of Songdo won the bid to host us. So we are very, very grateful to South Korea, our host country, as well as the city uh, of Songdo in Incheon, who, who's our host. That's how you are now headquartered in um... yeah. South Korea, yeah. And it's a very, I mean, I've been to Seoul. It's a very nice city also. I've never been to that area of the GCF, but I imagine it's a very well-developed, established, nice uh, neighborhood also over there. Yeah. I mean, the Songdo itself, uh, where we are located, New Songdo is actually uh, new, as the name, name implies. It was, it's been constructed uh, from scratch 10 years ago. So, uh, in, and has been developed as the International Free Economic Zone. It's really be very beautiful. Uh, Korea is a very beautiful country. So lots of hills around and lots of water bodies around. So great place to live. Okay. So now let's talk now that we have the history, the objective of GCF. Let's talk about the strategy and focus of GCF actually. So it would be great if you can share with us about the program, about their target, uh, the team sector of GCF itself, Kapita? So, so far, um, GCF has now committed about $12 billion. Uh, our our uh, commitment ha has mobilized a total project value of $45 billion. And this is uh, in grant equivalency basis, which is the accounting principle that we use. Uh, we are the only international fund that has almost 50% uh, 50, 50, 50 devoted to uh, adaptation and 50% devoted to mitigation. So that's rooted in our philosophy itself. The other thing that we do uh, as part of our strategy is try to increase the uh, funding through local entities, which we call the direct access entities, which is also a very, very unique part of our strategy. So we, even though we work with a lot of international entities, including the multilateral development bank and international financial institutions, including commercial banks, investment banks, we also work increasingly with the local domestic uh, institutions directly. Our uh, funds have, uh, we have about eight result areas and we uh, focus on uh, enabling all of those results area. Four of those results area are mitigation focused results area. Uh, one of which is the uh, low emission power generation and energy access. Um, second one is on low emission transport. Third one is on uh, clean and energy efficient building appliances uh, area. And the fourth one is deforestry side, so prevention of deforestation, because as you know, that's the biggest carbon sink. So that's these four areas are our mitigation areas. And uh, on the adaptation side, we also um, do funding for climate resilient infrastructure. So that's uh, an area that a lot of initial funding, especially for those countries which are most vulnerable, the small island development st developing states, the uh, least developed countries, as well as Africa, which are most uh, vulnerable, a lot of funding has gone through, uh, for, for example, for building of seawalls and others. So climate resilient infrastructure is, is a key component. The third component is the food, uh, health, and water security of people. And the fourth one is the uh, improving the resilience and adaptive capacity of the vulnerable communities. So these, we work uh, in enabling countries to have a very balanced approach to mitigation and adaptation. Our strategy is country-led. 
So different countries uh, prepare their own strategic plan of how they want to, as you know, through the Paris Agreement, they submit their own NDCs, nationally determined contribution. But our funds also help them develop country programs for where they would like to invest in their climate money as per country aligned priorities. And those become uh, the departure point for then developing proposals that we work with, uh, both on the public sector side and on the private sector side to enable the countries to meet their aspirations. And then in terms of the countries' coverage, which countries that GCF is covering or focusing on, Kapitan? So we work with all developing countries. Uh, our member countries uh, of the UNFCCC who are not part of the uh, non-Annex 1 countries. Uh, however, uh, our commitment uh, as part of our strategy, what we had committed to that, uh, as I mentioned, about uh, 50% of our funds go towards mitigation and 50% go towards adaptation in grant equivalency basis. But within the adaptation component, uh, we are committed to then spending about at least 50% of that to those countries which are most vulnerable to climate impacts, such as the, uh, as I said, LDC, SIDS and uh, African countries. Okay. And then you talk about um, the country-led program, if you will, right? And this is, you are targeting both public sector and private sector. Can you talk a little bit about the broad program or concept of working with the public and private sector in GCF, Kavita? Um, so the public sector, of course, works with public entities. Uh, the, and most of them are either state-owned enterprises or government ministries or others. And they, uh, the funding goes to them to program directly public things that are creating public goods and services, right? So a large part of that money goes to the, towards them. Much of the instruments that are used in the public sector are either straight grants or uh, senior loans. And so that's public sector funding. On the private sector side, we've also committed, as you know, the 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 amount of money required to meet the ambitions or, or the goals of Paris is such that no amount of grants or loans or public capital can actually meet those. So it is important to mobilize private capital. And our role as a catalyzer and a de-risker is to enable private sector. One, one is to enable private capital to move into climate uh, mitigation and adaptation, especially those areas where they would otherwise not be about not be able to invest given their risk frameworks and their return profiles that their expectations are. So they would not be able to invest in them because of the either some real risks or perceived risks of climate investments. Um, so we, our role is to provide de-risking uh, capital uh, and take the high-risk capital on our end and be the patient capital so that the private sector can invest. Our second part of our role is also to enable development of the local private institutions, whether it is the local financial institutions or the local MSMEs and others, so that they are able to transition from whatever their uh, goods and services they are using to low emission, climate resilient goods and services. So we also do a lot of credit lines, green credit lines uh, uh, through the local LFIs, as well as we have. Uh, also set up new institutions in countries where don't have an institution. For example, we are one of the co-founder co-founders of uh, Mongolia Green Bank in Mongolia. Um, so that that will enable them to mobilize local uh, capital to move into climate finance. So we do a lot of uh, ways to mobilize private capital from within the countries, but also enable financial flows from uh, across. Uh, countries either regionally or internationally to enable developing countries to meet their financing needs. But also in the uh, process, we also want to showcase that some of these uh, business, uh, so-called climate mitigation or adaptation businesses actually are new opportunities. These are the sunrise industries. So we, we help try create market knowledge uh, so that the investors who come after us, then they are able to reprice their risks and, and then are able to enter new markets. One thing that we learned in our program, I think it relates to your point about catalyzer, is that like you just said, right? Uh, there is a lot of need, but there is a lot of concern about the risk or the perceived risk, right? And then from the private sector, especially. So if I understand it correctly, you are trying to mobilize this private sector or you're trying to create the market, if you will, in these countries, right? 
uh, by enabling or building the capacity of the local institution. So in terms of the instrument itself, because we also learned the concept of blended finance, are you using mostly blended finance in of the programs, Capita, or you are also doing, for instance, just straight senior loans? Can you talk a little bit about the instruments that the private sector facility especially is uh, focusing on? Oh, the very, very interesting question, Andres. Yes, uh, that is what is key to the private sector facility. And, and we are pretty unique uh, because we are able to bring in uh, high-risk capital, uh, patient capital to those areas, especially at the scale at which we are doing it to create impact, right? So that uh, makes us really unique. Uh, the way we do this, uh, we use a variety of financial instruments, equity, grants, guarantees. Uh, when I say grants in the private sector, we don't do pure grants. We do reimbursable grants. So if certain thresholds are met, med grants can be uh, reimbursed. So reimbursable grants, equity, loans, and guarantees. Uh, and depending on what risk is uh, perceived to be the one that we are trying to de-risk, uh, we can play uh, in a different way. So we can do uh, in funds, for example, we can be a, a junior capital, which means we can take the first loss and the senior capital then gets the assurance that they can enter a new market in case the business models or the financial models as they're expecting or the assumptions as they're expecting don't pan out, then GCF takes the first loss and, and that gives them assurance so they can come in. So in equity, uh, we do that in, for example, in, uh, we, we've also done debt platforms. Uh, so we, we can create multiples of instruments. And then our idea is to be able to crowd in other capital, right? So we won't go in alone. We will make sure that others come after us. But it's also always in a blended stack where, uh, you know, we are typically we are juniors, depending on what we are trying to achieve, if it is not very high risk in terms of technology, but only the market is considered high risk, uh, then we might come in as pari pursue, but we then spread the risk among various different uh, players. Our concessionality comes in different flavors. In addition to taking first loss or uh, you know providing uh, lower cost of capital for loans, uh, we can also do higher grace period. We can also do longer tenure. So a combination of those can be used to blend. Um, so. We rarely, in the beginning, we used to do a lot of senior loans because capital was scarce. But now as greater amount of private capital is now seeing uh, some areas to become more opportunity and more uh, willing to invest in those such as renewable energy, we have moved out of that space now. We are now uh, doing more adaptation, uh, for example, and there uh, I think equity is something that uh, we need to come in because then that capital base then is able to leverage uh, debt from the market. In places where capital is not an issue, such as uh, Indonesia, for example, but uh, they might not be lending to new ways of doing business for climate uh, models. So there we might actually come in with uh, guarantees. So there, uh, you know, uh, we may not be needing to do equity. There we might do guarantees to either do credit enhancement or to do revenue guarantees or to do, um, uh, you know, some other sort of performance guarantee as it is, uh, might be needed. So we will see what risk is the market perception of. We've also done some ventures. Um, we've created a couple of facilities uh, for doing uh, incubators and accelerators for pure climate technologies. We've also done uh, in Africa for climate resilience uh, enterprises. We've actually taken uh, equity positions in com uh, smaller companies, uh, which has enabled them to then grow new enterprises and new businesses. So it's a pure venture in that sense. As I said, we created new banks, new institutions. Uh, we also have created an international institution called the Green Guarantee Company. Again, this was a blended mechanism where uh, we came in uh, along with two other uh, public institutions as co-equity holders, but then this uh, will then mobilize private capital into it. So different ways of blending. Sometimes, uh, you know, it could be pure uh, equity structures or it could be debt platforms or it could be guarantees uh, depending on what the need is of that country and, and what we are trying to create. Oftentimes what we do then helps create the market knowledge and a track record and gives the local enterprises the scale uh, of operation and a track record which with that scale and track record, then they can ask other private sector capital to invest in them. Great. 
And then so I think that you actually have a lot of flexibility in terms of the instrument, in terms of the project that you can approach and you can finance. Yeah. Is that the right understanding? Correct. Yes. So we are for the right impact. So, uh, you know, unlike some of the other investors who are high risk takers, they also expect higher returns. Our returns that we seek are in the form of higher climate impact returns. So we are in that sense an impact investor at scale. And uh, we take higher risks to enable higher climate impact to uh, be actually financed. Okay. And we use our instrument uh, in a manner that will catalyze and bring in crowd in other private uh, capital. Got it. Private and and public, I would say. Private and public. But also, does it mean that for the mainstream project, let's say a typical solar project in Indonesia, for instance, uh, a more mature that does not require blended finance, would you not look at this project because probably you can only do senior loan or would you still consider the mainstream projects like this one, Capita? We would, yeah, so our capital is very scarce, right? We we want to make sure that we are allocating where it is most needed. Uh, even though the example of Indonesia and renewable energy is very uh, a good example to talk about, because as we know, even though on an LCOE basis, uh, wind and solar are now, onshore wind and solar are now the cheapest source of new power. However, because of a variety of market barriers and market failures, uh, they are still not able to get the financing that they need. So we would like to see if somebody does bring a mainstream project, we would typically say no, because there are other capital available that can do the job better at the scale that is needed to be done. However, there might be an element there that might be useful for us to still invest. For example, uh, the grid side of it, right? The, The flexibility of the grid, which might enable uh, a greater amount of integration of renewal, which might then give the uh, the IPPs or the private uh, investors on the generation side greater confidence to invest uh, in that market. So we will have to really examine carefully of what are we trying to achieve. Sometimes, you know, the, if you leave the market for an organic development, it might take 20, 30 years, and uh, that would mean too late for climate, right? So if there is a role we can play to accelerate that market creation, then we might need, we could look at it. But pure capital, pure, you know, commercial, uh, we would not touch those. That, 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 that would be substituting others' capital, right? So be very, very careful about our additionality. Yeah, you do not want to crowd out the private sector at their potential mm-hmm. financiers, right? But I think it's a very interesting point that you mentioned, Kavita, for instance, solar um, in Indonesia, it should make sense, right? Given it's a tropical country, but I also learned that there are some areas or there are some projects that just do not have the funding that they need, actually, for various reasons. There is lack of, let's say, government support. There is lack of private sector that believe in this project. So even in those what's so-called mainstream, like you say, solar um, or hydro or wind that is already very cheap, there is still additionality case that you can build, right? Even in certain uh, area or sector, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd have to examine that value chain of what risks are we trying to uh, take care of. No amount of blended capital or concessional capital is a substitute for policy and regulation, right? So we, we cannot overcome that barrier. But if there is a means that if we are able to finance something and that enables a better shift on policy, uh, then uh, maybe that's something we could examine. But you know this. Yes. But does it mean also you also work with the public public sector arm of the GCF to see, hey, I think we need certain policy reform in this country to allow, to allow us to do more in the private sector. Can you work on that? Does that also happen? We do. We do. So we talk, typically when uh, my, in, in our discussion with my uh, public sector colleague, it's typically... Private sector is the exit strategy for the public sector. You know, you set up the whole business model. Uh, in the initial days, government wants to attract private capital, but they might need to set up the first few projects to showcase that or invest partly in it. And that's where GCF would come on the public sector side. And then we would follow uh, later on. But in some places where, um, you know, let's say, pick an example. Technology. If we are trying to well-established uh, fintech wants to, we want to help them pivot to climate fintech uh, or, or climate inclusion fintech. 
then that's something which would be pure, pure private capital or just uh, enabling a, a pivot. So that would be pure private. But for large uh, infrastructure projects, for example, or, or for energy projects, there's always an element of public-private uh, coming together and working together. In terms of business development, um, Kavita, because I understand that you have this concept or this partner called accredited entity, right? Um, so can you talk, I think, broader about the business development and the role of this accredited entity, including the local entity in your business development activity? Uh, very good uh, question again. Uh, GCF is a partnership modeled uh, organization. We do not do financing directly. We uh, our, our accredited entities are our partners through whom we do the financing. And they play a very, very important role uh, in, in uh, developing pipeline projects for GCF. They are the ones who are closest to the market, whether they are international players or local uh, direct access entities, as they are called or regional uh, direct access entities, they are closest to the market. They know what the market demands are. They know what the market, where the market failures are. They know where the barriers are. So we ex um, expect them to bring us the early concepts of where these projects might make the most sense. However, as we have developed a body of knowledge ourselves and a good committed uh, portfolio of projects, many, uh, promoters are bringing proposal ideas to us. So it's now becoming a more co-creation uh, process where some ideas come to us and we bring it to an AE that we think, a partner that we think might be more suited for that. And then we start co-creating and co-developing that together. Open times, it is still the other way around. The accredited entity brings us an idea to us and then we co-create and co-develop it uh, together. Uh, because of uh, our experience in other places, if a particular accredited entity is only working in a certain geography and we have seen something else work in another geography, we might say, oh, hey, we've seen this work somewhere else. Would you want to revise this and do that together? So we are now becoming more co-creators together. So our business development model has also evolved. Uh, the role of the accredited entity still remains very key. They are institutional partners. But we have also now recently, April of this year, opened a new window of partnership called the Project-Specific uh, Assessment Approach, or PSAA as it is called, where even non-accredited partners for, who want to work with GCF for the very first time can submit a direct proposal to us. But it's only for one off. The first time, either you want to test the water with GCF or you, you have this one big, brilliant idea that you want to try with GCF. So we are now encouraging a lot of those, specifically from the uh, local uh, developing country partners. If you have a good idea for GCF, you know, please talk to us and, and we have uh, tried uh, submitting it through a PSAA window, as we are calling it. And that would be complementary to the accredited entities approach, yes. I guess. Yeah, correct. Okay. correct. Yeah. So our, our institutional partners who will bring us a large, you know, recurring number of proposals that will still come through our institutional partners, as we call them, accredited entities, whether developing country accredited entities or international. But the special window would be a complementary window uh, to enable first-time uh, submitters uh, of proposals uh, to, to work with GCF. And this is really very exciting, especially for the private sector. Yeah, it sounds like it's a great opportunity for them also, right, to directly yeah, reach right. out to GCF. So in terms of this model, business model, because you can rely on these accredited entities, Kavita, does it mean, it seems that that allows you to be more nimble, more lean in terms of organization, right? Because I, I don't think you have people outside South Korea because of that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, correct. So that's the reason we scaled so rapidly, right? So we have currently about 140 accredited entities and we have now, don't quote me in that, but uh, that, that's uh, approximately the number. And that has allowed us to scale. Uh, GCF currently has more than 200 proposals uh, and, and we started our operations only around 2015. So that's really rapid, I would say, in eight-year period that we have about 200 proposals, $12 billion of commitment in project sizes, total of $45 billion. And that model, I think, especially now with this whole PSA approach, a nimble, even more nimble approach, would allow us to bring in both the innovative angles and first-time partners, as well as our institutional recurring partnerships. Yeah. 
So this hundred, let's say hundred forty accredited uh, entities, they cover all the countries, all the developing countries that yeah. GCF is focusing, right? Okay. Sure. The potential downside, though, I would think that because you are dealing with the accredited entities, but I do believe that nothing actually replaces like direct interaction with the local market, right? So you know the real vibe, the real dynamic of the local market. Is that something that you see a significant risk for you because you rely on the third party or is that something that is so far manageable? Can you talk a little bit about that, Kavita? Well, again, a very good question. You know, this is always a trade-off between risk and opportunity. The, the climate crisis is so urgent that you can't beat every risk out of it, right? You have to take some risk and GCF was created specifically with the idea of of taking these uh, investment risks where climate impact is high. And, and our A's are our eyes and ears on the ground. That's why we depend on that. Uh, and our accreditation process actually considers this risk really seriously. And so the accreditation process uh, examines the ap accredited entity applicants really carefully. And so that uh, allows us to know how authentic they are, uh, what their strength and capacities are before they become our institutional partner. So there is a way to manage those risks. And that's how we are doing. However, as you write, this does not um, completely offset the need for us to sometimes do our own due diligence. So oftentimes when we are doing, especially when you're doing um, first-time proposals uh, or in, in a country for the very first time where international capital might be there or, or something that is really innovative, so we do do, uh, you know, missions to those countries to be able to understand what's going on. And we do frequent missions as part of uh, country programming or regional mission uh, to be able to go see uh, the ground itself. Uh, it's also very motivational to see some of your projects in action. Uh, that gives us a real urgency for what the needs are and it helps us understand because sometimes sitting out in Songdo in your, uh, you know, GCF offices, you may not appreciate how urgent the needs are of the people. So that allows us to remain rooted as well. So I think we have been able to find a good balance between the risks and, and the opportunities that we are required to take. One area that I learned through this uh, program here, Kavita, is the obviously the more advanced uh, climate program, climate penalty, climate investment in UK and in Europe, right? which I think also opens up to possibility of, let's say, technology transfer, bringing the model here to other developing countries. So I'm wondering whether that's something that the private sector or the GCF is also looking at, looking at something in, I don't know, UK, Europe, and see, hey, probably we can implement development countries, or as of now, it's not within your scope yet. No, me too. I mean, our international accredited entities are very good at that because they have done something elsewhere in a developed country market especially our international commercial partners who are either large investment banks or asset managers and others, uh, they have seen what has worked elsewhere and they would often bring to us that, you know, the reason why we would like to do this, there's an opportunity, but we can't do it because of these risks, some of them real, some of them perceived, and then we do what we need to do to de-risk that, to prove that that model could work, or maybe that requires a tweak to work here. So yes, that does happen. But we are also creating new vehicles, and, and this is something um, that I can't put a name to yet because it hasn't been brought to our board for approval. But we are seriously looking at a technology transfer platform, uh, which would not only do north-to-south technology transfer in the traditional sense of the, sense of the word, but also south-south. So developing country to developing countries, because uh, we do see a lot of uh, new innovation coming up from the developing country itself, right? So. It's almost an opportunity to leapfrog, not just in terms of technology, but also business model. Uh, as you know, the, the pay-as-you-go model in Africa then revolutionized uh, the business model elsewhere for other things as well. So yes, we are, we are seeing some of those and we do finance that. Okay, great. Um, and that makes sense, right? Especially the South and South, because in IFC, we also did that. You know, we look at some projects at the time I remember in China or in India and see whether this is replicable in other emerging markets. And often it does work because they are very familiar with the dynamic, the challenges of the emerging markets also, right? So there is a lot of know-how um, experience that, that is really transferable to other emerging markets as well. Yeah. 
And now let's talk about the, you know, mitigation and adaptation, right? And then uh, I remember last year we talked a lot about the challenge in adaptation and other in this program also that different with mitigation, which is probably a little bit more commercially available, adaptation is still very lacking in terms of the funding. So can you talk a little bit about um, the type of projects um, or, or what is the approach that GTF private sector is doing in terms of the adaptation? A lot of our adaptation proposals, Andreas, uh, rightly seeing the demand for equity right now because, you know, that's, that, that's the highest risk capital that people seek for. The reason being um, there is not enough track record or, or business uh, understanding of what adaptation really is. Um, so even though there might be great willingness now and then, I'm seeing very, very happy to say that I'm seeing a greater willingness for the private sector to invest in adaptation. However, the knowledge of that is really still lacking. You know, uh, very often, other than understanding conservation and uh, building of seawalls, the knowledge of what really is about adaptation is lacking. Uh, even in terms of um, intermediary services uh, for adaptation, I would say it is where mitigation used to be about 15, 20 years ago. The metrics, the uh, you know, measurements, the, the frameworks, they are still being developed. Uh, and they are still nascent, so there isn't enough track record or behind it. So with that, I think we are seeing a lot of demand for equity, for funds. Uh, typically, with the most highest risk, funds come in first uh, to experiment with a variety of different instruments, to experiment with a variety of different uh, small sky size projects to see what might work and what might not work. Um, and that uh, we have seen uh, quite a bit. We have done the Coral Reef uh, Fund. Uh, that is to help protect the coral reef, uh, which uh, is looking at some of the upstream activities uh, that are damaging to the coral reefs and how some of those uh, can be converted into business opportunity. For example, one of the investments that are being looked at there is for um, a high-tech, high-technology sorting facility for wastes that uh, damage, which are da damaging to the coral reef to not go downstream into the coral reef and, and sort them out and then create recycling and opportunities for revenue stream from there. So that's one opportunity. Another one that we are seeing an investment is uh, on uh, a combined new business, uh, which is combining solar plus water purification in one module. Um, so which is about, uh, you know, harnessing uh, atmospheric water uh, of different types, either rainwater or, or dew or others to purify them using solar. And so very experimental, very small scale, but within the fund context, it works, right? So we are seeing uh, some of these under the fund concepts uh, that are coming up. We've also done some investments in climate resilient infrastructure. The first uh, large investment in climate resilient infrastructure with our partner AFC, Africa Finance Corporation, we have helped set up another fund called the um, Infrastructure Climate Resilient Fund, ICRF, where GCF is contributing almost a third of that fund, which is very high for GCF. We typically would uh, go uh, around 20% in a fund. We are taking a junior tranche in that. Again, we are anchor investors to mobilize African pension funds and other institutional investors to come in behind us with specifically developing also as part of this whole uh, fund itself in addition to that, there is a TA component to develop the whole analytical framework of what constitutes climate resilient infrastructure and, uh, you know, how can you also insure against that? So there is a TA component to study that element. So hopefully together we are then able to prove to the market, create knowledge in the market that this is a, an investable area. As you know, there is a beginning um, of this whole idea of infrastructure as an asset class. So what we are trying to go push that window further to call it a climate resilient infrastructure as a new asset class. So that's our thesis. So we're beginning to do a lot of experimental stuff in, in the adaptation space. And hopefully some of these will click. As I said, uh, we are taking higher risks, but we think it's worth uh, taking those risks to both for the potential impact it will create, but also for uh, the market knowledge it will create so that people behind us can then take, you know, bring in greater capital for once this knowledge is created. 
Yeah, if anything, adaptation, I think, is really where GCF can really play a unique role, right? Yeah. Given, like right. you said, the market is not embracing this yet. So I think if you can see that this is a bankable, investable project, I think it hopefully can spur more interest in this adaptation activities, yeah? Another adaptation activity that we see a greater interest from GCF side, and we've done some really good work there, is on climate-resilient infrastructure. Uh, sorry, climate-resilient agriculture. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And this is what, so, I, I've always been very interesting. So can you talk a little bit more about that? So I'll give you an example that we worked with a, in a, with a commercial bank in Tanzania. Um, so we've done, you know, some, you might call those very traditional way of financing, but it is doing traditional financing for a very specific purpose, right? So we have helped create this commercial bank called the CRDB, uh, Tanzania. It's, it's a commercial agriculture bank uh, to create a new window of lending for climate resilient uh, infrastructure, climate resilient adaptation in uh, agriculture. So new products and services so that the uh, smallholder farmers and MSMEs involved in the agriculture value chain can then buy products and services which are climate resilient. And so it's a new window where we are providing the credit line. In addition to that, we are also providing a credit enhancement so that they are then able to, you know, both lend to those projects that they would otherwise consider risky in their own risk assessment framework. Plus, there's a TA component that enables then CRDB to internalize the learnings from this into their own risk assessment methodology so that in future they are, that becomes a mainstream part of their lending activity. And then in addition, we have another uh, TA and insurance premium component uh, so that they are now lending to those smallholder farmers they can also create a new insurance product, a weather-indexed insurance product, specifically for climate-related uh, disasters so that the, the farmers then uh, can sustain through an event of that. So the bank also benefits. They have lower default rates because then these are covered uh, candidates. And then uh, the, the farmers and the SMEs also then are able to recover faster and then get back into productive cycle as fast as possible. So I think this whole suite of things that we can do, I think this proposal enables us to really demonstrate that we can be very creative in working together and designing multiple things that enhances the capacity of the local commercial bank to lend to this new area and then internalize that learning to themselves so that then they can do this more all. And CRDB, uh, the replication potential is high because they, it also does, does agriculture lending in other countries in Africa. So our one small project in Tanzania has the capacity, then the ability to transform the market uh, within that. Because if this is successful, there'll be other copycat commercial players who will do this as well. That is very fascinating, actually, because exactly when you mentioned that, I immediately thought about your South and South strategy, right? Because back then, I remember when I did my uh, internship long time ago in India, I worked with Tata AIG to learn their uh, weather insurance products. And I learned that in India, that uh, product was actually quite advanced. And I remember, oh, this is something that Indonesia can also use, right? And I guess in this sense, um, the Tanzania, the project in Tanzania can also be applicable because this uh, weather insurance is needed everywhere actually, right? In agriculture, yeah. Yeah. And then, so in terms of, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the impact uh, you said that you are looking really at the return on the impact, Kavita. Can you talk a little bit about that? How do you measure? How do you monitor? Because I think one thing that I found GCF is really good at from the website, it's really good in telling the stories of the impact, right? Many fascinating projects and the stories. So it's not just number. It's about the people that you are impacting. It's about the uh, emissions that you are reducing, actually. So can you talk about the approach of the impact itself uh, for the private sector? department? So the, the uh, GCF has this integrated results monitoring framework, RMF, and it's a very, very detailed framework with a great level of, you know, not just indicators, but goes into the methodologies and how, what assessments are needed, what studies are needed. So that is a very helpful framework, which, which then our private sector partners are able to use to be then develop a theory of change that for impact, I think one of the big driving factors of impact is theory of change, right? So if, if you do this, this will change 
because this is a current barrier here, right? So we, we are able to work with our partners to develop and help them develop a big, good theory of change, a solid theory of change with well-calibrated assumptions, which can get tested at various different times. And then a log frame, which then allows them to uh, monitor the results and activities. And they, each of our partners submit uh, on an annual basis, an annual performance report, which then captures these. And then we do a lot of also active adaptive management, because uh, if you are taking high risk, many of the assumptions that you may have started with may not pan out. So you might need to adapt the proposal. So we have a very, very good uh, division of portfolio management that works very closely with the private sector facility, as well as with the public sector uh, division of mitigation and adaptation to do a proactive adaptive management. And that enables our proposals to move forward and sort of adopt along the way to provide the results that are required. And, and you're rightfully pointing out that some of those early proposals are now showing really results. And that's something we hope uh, we can do better of in telling our story. One of our very successful proposals has been ARAP, the Africa Resilient Agriculture Fund. Um, which is now actually there are about four or five or five or seven, uh, I can send you more details about that, enterprises, agriculture enterprises that were uh, in which the fund had made catalytic uh, equity investments in, and they have since then grown. It is now beginning to see some exits, and uh, some of these are really fascinating because some of them are part of the agriculture value chain, some of them are agriculture services, some of them are platforms, there's a variety of new niche areas that has come about. Uh, we are now trying to replicate that uh, model in Pakistan. So this was for an Africa fund. So we are trying to replicate that model in Pakistan, especially those areas. As you know, Pakistan suffered a devastating flood. Much of the private as well as local enterprise activities were wiped out as a result. So we're trying to bring back private sector there in the agriculture area, which, which is a big employment generation and a source of food security. So we're trying to replicate that. So I think this whole opportunity to create something one place and then see whether it can be replicated in another place is, uh, is a tremendous opportunity that GCF has and, and the private sector facility is able to do these, uh, which sort of showcases, you know, private can also do good. It doesn't have to be only 100% commercial, but these are actually commercial activities. Yeah, yeah. And I think we learned that Commercially, it needs to be sustainable also, right? Yeah. And I think which you have demonstrated. Now, going forward, Kavita, what do you think are the opportunities and the challenges for the private sector facility? Um, for the DCF's private sector facility itself, our ability to um, scale up ourselves because the needs are tremendous. Since COP26 and COP27, the private sector's uh, interest in climate investment has increased. You know, that there's a lot, lot of now attention, both within their own understanding of the risks that they themselves uh, have are facing. Climate is no more, you know, a problem that's going to happen 50 years later. It's something here and now. We are seeing the impact. So many private sector are beginning to pivot themselves already. So that's a tremendous new opportunity that has opened up for PSF to work with these players. In terms of our challenges would be to how we can mobilize ourselves and also figure out new business models for ourselves to work with this private sector, you know, uh, and also to have our operations on a more scalable manner so that, you know, we are able to bring larger number of projects every year because the demand is just tremendous. So these are two areas we are looking at. Uh, we will continue to work on the areas that we are doing well, very well in, but we are moving away from a sectoral approach to looking at more what, as we call, systems transition approach. So that's something we will be working more on. Uh, but we're also looking at doing more in the greening of the financial system. So creating more green credit lines or green institutions where uh, institutions aren't there to mobilize both local and international capital. And then also looking at ways to uh, bring in more venture and more inclusion, more private capital into, you know, inclusion-related activities as well. Very interesting. Just to wrap up our discussion, I always ask our guests about the career advice, right? Especially for the CCMF student, especially in the climate finance space, Kavita. So if you um, can share your thoughts about the 
career in this climate finance and also with GCF. I think that would be great for our students here. No, an excellent question. And GCF, I would really say that uh, you and your uh, fellow students should definitely look at GCF uh, because we are doing things that nobody else is doing. We have brought together a tremendous group of talented people with climate scientists, with uh, you know private uh, investors and uh, people who are really able to think creatively on climate finance and do new things. So there's a lot of opportunity th there. Uh, GCF is already growing. Uh, we were about 200 people for five years. We are close to 300 now and we will continue to grow. Uh, the, on the investment side, we have both public sector and uh, private sector. So where we bring together people with uh, project finance experience, uh, with project uh, equity and funds experience, uh, people with the guarantees and de-risking experiences on the private sector side. On public sector side, people with uh, sectoral knowledge as well as public finance uh, information. We have a uh, need to grow in our portfolio management division. So a lot of project uh, management skills are needed there. We also have, uh, as I said, on the scientific side, so climate scientists, uh, folks on that. And we also have our good uh, general services, right? So our services team on treasury funds and financial functions. So all of those are good opportunities within the GCF. But largely in the over and above that, uh, I think there's a, the whole market for uh, people with climate finance background has suddenly exploded. Uh, I envisage that uh, this will be the biggest market opportunity for uh, professionals in the next few years, and that will continue to grow. People who already have uh, experience in this segment will be really commanding a very, very strong position. That is very encouraging to hear, Kavita. Um, thank you very much. I think this is really interesting. This is really useful. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me again and um, wish you all the very best. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope that you gain some new insights from this conversation. One key takeaway is that we, the climate change management and finance students, are definitely in the right space at the right time. Okay then, again, I hope that your summer is going well, not just work-wise, but also that we all will get the chance for much deserved break or vacation with your loved ones. And as always, may your coming days be filled with interesting stories and opportunities. Until then, cheers. This episode contains original music by my CCMF classmate, Kirk.